we can be shaped by God, that we are not rigid, that we are not uh, set in, in one form, but we can actually be molded and shaped. And so after the, uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at how our lives are shaped by God, really the master potter. And Scripture uses, you saw the passage up there, uh, uses that imagery of a, a master potter who kind of forms us. And I love the graphic. Um, you know, Hannah Wilson found this one and uh, helped kind of uh, uh, shape it for us and, and um, make, it, make it creative in, in terms of the graphic here. But you kind of see an individual's hands around this, you know, so a person, and then another hand more seasoned coming in to kind of give it a little more definition or to, to move it one way or the other. And I think that's such a great visual about, you know, what it is that's happening in our lives. I, I talk often, I could just put a period there, couldn't I? I talk often, <laughs> I talk a lot about how this, we have a partnership, our faith is that, it's a partnership with God, that we, we don't just take our hands off the wheel and say, okay, God, you take over, you do your thing, it's, we're still in that formation process with Him. And we invite Him to help give our lives direction, move it one way or the other so that we can be formed in, in the, the way that He wants us to go. Well, the, the, the truth is, is that for all of us, we've been imprinted with multiple influencers in our life. So as, as you sit here, as we're in the room together, I'm going to have you just kind of take a little bit of a trip down memory road. Not too far, I don't want to lose you. But just think about all of these different influencers in your life. The first one is genetics. Now, arguments can be made about what are we genetically predisposed to? You know, is it our behaviors too or is it just our physical traits? I, I think uh, at, at minimum we can say, at the very least we can say, is that our bodies have the same genetic strands as those of our family line, right? So something, even if I don't see it in my, my parents, I might be able to see it in my grandparents, my, my mom's parents or my dad's side of the family. So we've been shaped by our genetics, our physical and mental health are influenced by those genetics, and they can, and they can really have an impact on our life. I, I know in my family, if I look to my mom's side of the family, there is chronic uh, issues with, with joint pain, right? We have cartilage problems. And so uh, I've got a brother who right now, he's uh, about six years older than me, and so he's 56, I'm 50, but he has hip problems. Like they're talking about a hip replacement at the age of 56, right? Um, and, and so I've always, like if I am doing yard work or something, my, you know, my knuckle, I just feel pain in my knuckles and in my knees. And it just, it's just part, you know, and somebody else, you could say, well, that's, that's old age. No, I've, I've felt that since I was in my 20s. That's something that if I got on my knees, even in my 20s, it would just be sore and, and just really rough. But but I can trace that back to, actually, my mom's side of the family. Her sister had it. My mom had it. She had knee replacement, hip replacement. I mean, just, it was just an issue. So genetics, you look at that and you say, yeah, I can trace a couple things, either for my mental health or physical back on my family line. And so that's imprinted upon us. Our family upbringing is another one. How we are raised has significant influence on the adults that we have become today. So the rules of our house. And how those rules were enforced, right? Really imprinted upon us what, what the house, what our environment in which we grew up in, what the home should look like. My mom was, uh, she loved vacuuming. 
You know, every day was another day to vacuum. The carpet should look like it just hadn't been, been walked on, right? And so, you know, as I'm growing up, it's like that's imprinted on me. You know, be, be careful. You know, some kids played from, you know, don't touch the ground because it's hot lava, so jump from furniture to furniture. I said, don't touch the ground because it just got vacuumed, right? That's avoid the ground because it just got vacuumed. But the environment that we grew up in, those are the spoken message. What did you hear from your mother all the time? What did you hear from your father all the time growing up? Those are those imprinted uh, upon you. Those helped shape your life and, and help uh, were, were part of forming the person that you've become. Uh, were you raised with two parents or in a single parent family? Uh, did they model healthy relationships or was it quarreling? Would you would you? Uh, Jerry, my wife, has a, a great name for. Couples who argue all the time, they're, they're called, and, and she may have stole it from your dad, she calls them the Bickersons, right? <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Bickerson, they're the couple that just argues back and forth all the time, right? And uh, so we'll be standing in line, she goes, looks like we're behind the Bickersons today. And, uh, and so if that was modeled for you, right, that's the type of, that tends to be the way you address relationships, is you always correcting the other person, they're correcting, you know, and that's the way you feel like you relate to people is by always being the right person in the room, by always making corrections. And so these, uh, if, if you had stress in your household and there was arguments, it may have modeled you the other way. I don't like conflict. I avoid conflict all the time. And, and you see that as an adult because you, when you were raised in this environment, you then wanted to shy away from it. You never wanted to be a part of that. And so you push back against it. Now you have an unhealthy tendency to avoid conflict. Uh, were we born into our family or adopted by our parents? That had an imprint on you, an understanding of, of maybe a sense of belonging or how do you get into a family, maybe whether you belong or not. So all those things can, uh, in relationship to our family upbringing, has imprinted upon us, has shaped us in terms of the type of person that we've become. Uh, the last one I want to bring up, and there's others, but this last one I want to bring up, our socioeconomic environment. If you grew up in a family where there's very little finances, very little money available, and you wondered where your meal was coming from. <laughs> that, that kind of shaped how you look at life and, and, and the decisions that you made versus if, if you grew up of a, a family that had great affluence, those weren't really the concerns that you grew up with. There wasn't that type of stress. And so that, that impacted, that uh, economic status impacted your upbringing. Uh, depending on where you're at. Were you raised in a rural environment with a predominantly a, a Caucasian ethnicity? That's one experience versus growing up in an urban environment where there's multiple ethnicities and multiple languages spoken around your neighborhood. Um, each of those creates kind of a different imprinting upon you of how you see the world. Uh, generational influencers play a big part. Uh, it's not just in our immediate surroundings, but you think about the span of your life. Some of you you know, if you, your past, if you say my past, I was, I was raised, partial of my upbringing was in the, in the 50s. Well, you think about that, you have over half a century of environmental imprinting to look back upon, right? You have a history to be able to look back upon and see the changes of culture throughout time. And you can say, well, this works and this doesn't work. And, and these are all the different things that have happened in culture over time. But, you know, in comparison to that, if, if you grow up in the 2000s, you have two decades, right? You have just about 20 years, so most of your life, either you're in adolescence and now you're looking at the world, and, and so it's, 
it, you don't see it the same way as the person who was raised, grew up in the 50s, right? And, but we tend to say, you know, well, this generation doesn't get it and this generation doesn't. Well, you got to imagine the lens that one looked at it through versus the other one. Sometimes we talk about things and we say, you know, well, it's, I, I wish it was this way. And you, and you don't understand that you're talking a foreign language. There's even things that some people, Jerry and I were talking about this the other day, that, uh, you know, we, we see sometimes people will say, you know, I wish they would bring back prayer in schools. I'm 50 years old. Prayer was never in the schools. I don't remember a time when they prayed in the schools. I went to public school, grew up in, going to public school. And so you got to understand, I'm 50 years old, and that's never been a reality. Like, I, I don't know who would have prayed at my school, knowing the teachers that I had. Uh, it was, you know, I was like, yeah, that guy's not praying. <laughs> you know, I don't want him praying over my class. See, but that's a generational difference, right? Some of you remember, you go, oh, I remember we did the pledge and we did prayer and, you know, school started that way. And so you say, that's the problem. And then you talk to another generation, they're like, that's, that's not part of my environmental imprinting. I don't even know, I don't have a frame of reference for anything that you're talking about in that light, right? And so when we talk about what shaped us, it's also been our generational differences, how much of a span of things that we've seen, how much we've experienced over time. And so, you know, if I have a lot of experiences, I have a lot of things to compare it to up to my life at this point. If I only have, you know, 20 years of life, I only have a few things to compare it to. And so I see things differently than, than you see them. So another, just to give you another picture, Jerry and I, we were traveling this past week. Uh, she does educational consulting and a lot of it's in Dodge City, Kansas. And, uh, any Dodge City people out there? No? Okay. <laughs> it's one of those small western, Colorado, uh, western Kansas towns, uh, uh, livestock, big livestock town. But we had a wonderful trip going all through, you know, went to Breckenridge, covered a lot of territory through Colorado, saw some beautiful territory, came down through Pueblo, and then we passed through Lamar, Colorado, where Jerry was raised, another smaller, you know, livestock farming community made our way across the, the border into Kansas. And then on our way back, uh, we, we stopped into Lamar. And as we come through Lamar, it was interesting because population growth really isn't an issue in Lamar. They, they've stayed, you know, pretty much the same as where they're at. So she was able to show me, this is the house where our family started, this is the other. And for the most part, she, we were just able just to kind of maneuver through town. And, and there were some different businesses, but for the most part, it looked very very similar. And so she was recounting uh, the difference, what it was like growing up in that community and then going to college in Los Angeles, the Echo Park community of Los Angeles, California, right? It's like, you know, big difference, right? That imprinting of what she had, you know, was different than where the environment she was going into. But then she was in her 20s, so life in Los Angeles helped shape her, shape her as well. And, and so changes in what we experience, you know, both of those experiences shaped her. They had an imprinting upon her life and how she saw the world. For a season of her life, she saw it as rural America, um, you know, largely uh, Ang uh, Caucasian and Hispanic, kind of a mix, agricultural, uh, a town where you knew everybody, everybody knew the, the business owners. In fact, many of them went to the Foursquare Church there. And so that environment to then a city where you just feel like a speck, I mean, you just, like, I don't even, ex does anybody know I'm even here? If I was missing, you know, it's, it's just so huge. And, 
and just a whole different environment, but that has an imprint as well. I think if, if I walked, you know, down the aisle with a microphone and I just went down and, you know, gathered a few stories, there's not a one that would be identical, right? Even if you were raised in the same family, it wouldn't be identical. And here's why. Because the way that your parents and your siblings related to you is different than the way they related to your other siblings. And the environment in which you grew up and how you took in that and learned from it is different than a, maybe your sibling experienced it. So you go down the aisle and every one of you would think about all these ways that I've been imprinted, the way that I've been shaped in my life from the people, the cultural influences, the, the teachers I had, the, the community I grew up in, um, all of these different things had, had a, a part in who I've become. But then we, we turn the corner a little bit and we say, okay, now what do we do with this as Christians? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what's the question about this what, shaping of, of my life? And, and I want to start with this question up here. Am I putting on display the reshaping of Jesus Christ's influence upon my life, or am I displaying only the collection of other influences upon my life? That's a big question. What is it that people see when they look at me? What is it that people are noticing when they look at me? Am I putting on display the reshaping of Jesus in my life, His influence upon my life, or am I displaying only the collection of every other influence upon my life? Now, that's an important question because as we're going to see this morning, part of discipleship, this idea of discipleship, is that we are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That there's a reshaping that's, that's happening. So as I listed all of those other influences upon your life, upon my life, there's not a question of if you're influenced. We're all influenced. It's the question of, do any of those reflect who Jesus Christ is? And if not, and the values of the kingdom, and if not, then how is Christ allowed to reshape me more into the image of Christ so that I look more like Him? So that's an an important question. So our response to that is important because it tells how deep, how deep our following of Jesus has gone. So in our culture, the tendency is to be involved in a lot, a breadth of experiences, to experience a lot of things and to be able to, you know, especially put it on Instagram, right? I did this, I did that, I did that, kind of put on display the breadth of our life. We're here, we're there, we're doing, you know, that was Jerry and I this past week, right? We, we could have showed you a breadth of experiences. We went across the Continental Divide, we're in Aspen, and then we could have showed you Pueblo, and then we could have gotten pictures of uh, the stockyards in Lamar, and then we could have, you know, gotten some planes, and we could have, you know, showed you a breadth of experiences because we, we went through a lot of different places. Here's, here's the thing about our life in Christ is that we want to not just focus on the breadth of how many things we've learned and what kind of experiences we've gone to, conferences we've gone to, songs we know, all the breadth of our experience with Christ. We want to be able to say, how deep has the work of discipleship gone into my life? How far into my experience of, 
of walking with Christ? Is it reshaping the very nature of, of who I am? Pete Scazzaro, and, and you'll probably hear that name more and more over the coming months because we're actually, as a congregation, we're starting to work through, we'll be working through some of his material about emotionally healthy spirituality. But Pete Scazzaro has a great saying. He says, he says Jesus is in your hearts, but Grandpa's in your bones. <laughs> and by that, he just means, listen, yes, you've received Christ as a follower of Jesus. You are a Christian. You identify with Christ. The challenge, though, is that you do have this imprinting. It's still affecting you. It has, has uh, the ability to push you one way or the other. The question isn't whether it's there. The question is, how much is Jesus influencing that? How much is Jesus reparenting you, reshaping you into a kingdom of God believer, follower of, of Him? So let's pray as we come to Romans chapter 12 is our core scripture this morning. And then uh, I want to just highlight a couple things out of Romans 12, and then uh, we'll, we'll be finished for kind of this introductory moment with uh, this, this idea of being reshaped. So, Lord, as we come, we, we do recognize and I'm thankful um, that you help us to do that. Um, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to areas where we're blind to where we've been formed and um, where we've been influenced by the cultural things around us, I pray you would help us to, to be awakened to that, be aware of that, um, that we're not self-made men and women, that we have been influenced by our upbringing, by genetics, by uh, the culture that we grew up in. Lord, there's so many things that have kind of shaped our lives, and so we have been imprinted upon but Lord, I, I pray that in that then comes the liberty to see you more uh, clearly in the ways that you want to reshape us, the ways that you want to transform us more into those who would be identified as Christians, those who would be identified as Christ followers, more into the image of uh, Jesus Christ. And so, Holy Spirit, um, help us not be protective of ourselves, help us not uh, push back against your work, but help us, Holy Spirit, to receive from you, hear from your word, and recognize the ways in which you want to work and move in our lives. Um, help us to be able to see honestly ways that our past imprinting still drives a lot of who we are and how we can see that still change. And so we thank you, Lord, for your word that comes alive in us, that illuminates areas of our life so that we can, again, come to those places with the power of the Holy Spirit and be transformed. So we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me, let me throw a parenthetical statement in here is that, is that it's, not a, it's not an attempt to diminish those influences in your life. And by that I mean somehow say none of those have value from your past influencers. The only thing that matters is that you become a new creation in Christ and you look more like Jesus. That's what's happening. That's what we want to happen. But God wants, God is a redeeming God. And so the way that you've been shaped, the person you are is very unique. And so God doesn't want a bunch of bland people who only share the same experiences, who only say the same things the same way. 
He takes the things from your past, the things that have shaped the person that you are now, and what He wants to do is do a redemptive work in you to then bring the glory of Christ into those things. So, some of you would say, well, I went through some really bad stuff in my life. And so, there's absolutely nothing good there. And so, all I want to do is shove that off the table and then just focus on Jesus and none of that. I don't want any of that to be brought up or I don't want to have to think about it or it doesn't have any part in my life now because I'm a new creation in Christ. And I, I want to affirm that part. If you're, as a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to Christ, you are a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed, the new has come. But many of us would kind of say, unfortunately, you don't just get to wipe everything off the table and say, well, I don't have to deal with that anymore. And if we try to do that, what happens is it keeps popping back up into our lives and interrupting us. While we're trying to be good followers of Jesus, it keeps showing back up there and we say, ah, I'm rid of that. I don't want that anymore. See, what, what God wants to do is cause us not to be, have amnesia about what our past involves. He wants us to say, God, this is a reality for me and has shaped part of my life, but I don't want to shape it to give the enemy glory in my life. I want it to be surrendered to you so that Jesus, you can use it to transform me so that Jesus Christ can receive glory in my life. So it may be that you look in your past and you go, boy, so much of that imprinting was, was just garbage. Just some terrible stuff and abuses that I experienced and, and I just don't even want to go there. And, and I, I in no way am trying to push you there, but what I'm saying is it's still there. It's still there. So the question is, is Jesus Christ going to have the opportunity to transform it and to shape your life and to you bring beauty out of those ashes into something more magnificent or is it just going to be suppressed and keep showing up in ways that frustrate you in your life so we're not talking about that the past has no value we're saying absolutely that's part of who you are and the shaping of your life up to this point what we want to say is how has the redemptive work of Christ had its way in you to reveal the glory of Christ out of your life, out of the things that you've experienced. And if you say, perfect, I'm there. Jesus is revealed in everything in my life. We have a special class going on that deals with honesty and confession. Because there's not a one of us in this room that has dealt with all of the imprinting that's gone into our life, and now we perfectly reflect Christ in all of it. He's still working. We're still discipling. We're still being transformed to his image. So we come to Romans chapter 12. But first, Romans 12 begins with a therefore or kind of a, a letting you know that something happened right before Romans 12. So I just want to kind of give you what that is. So Romans 11 ends with this, this uh, majestic statement about who Christ is. It's an anthem of praise to Jesus Christ. Because it's talking about God's mercy and how, you know, he's worthy to be praised because he is working out all of history so that everybody has the opportunity to hear the good news and everybody has the opportunity to be redeemed. And so it finishes out with this anthem to Christ. It says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. 
How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. So that's how chapter 11 finishes with this grand anthem about God's majestic uh, worth and how he's worthy to be praised and worshiped. And then it goes right into Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, two of my favorite verses in all of, all of Scripture. I'm reading for the English Standard Version. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, in, basically in light of who Jesus Christ is, who, what God has done in, in his, his worth and praise, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's a really powerful statement, isn't it? It transitions from this, we're glorifying God because of who He is, therefore, because of who God is and He's worthy of praise, Offer your whole being, your whole bodies as sacrifices to God. Holy and acceptable. Do not be, and here's the instruction that comes in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, that's, that's read through the English Standard Version. Let me, let me read it through the message paraphrase. And I like sometimes to use a paraphrase version because uh, a translation is an attempt to get the specific language down a little bit better. A paraphrase gives you more of the feeling of what the author was trying to communicate. So the message, here's how it reads in that same passage. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. He'll be, uh, you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-informed maturity in you. Really captures kind of that, that idea or that concept behind that passage, right? There's, what God wants isn't just this, this majestic church worship. He wants your everyday going to work, getting up, getting dressed in the morning, sitting down for dinner, getting ready for bed at night. He wants that life of worship. Everything that's happening every day. And then it goes on. I love the way it goes on from there. It says, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Isn't that really the challenge? Isn't that part of what we're talking about of all the imprinting that's gone on in your life up to this point? How much of it were you cognizant? Were you just really thinking, oh, this is going to shape me if I 
think this way or do this? And how much of it do you just go, okay, I'll just do that because that seems to be what's going on. <laughs> right? Wow, it really opens my eyes and I just say, wow, how much did I invite God into the shaping of my life and how much was I just kind of moving with the flow of what was going on at the time and allowed what others had to say or wanted to influence me with and, and just accept it. So the anthem of praise transitions into the saying that because of what Christ has done, because he's worthy of glory, because God is willing to save mankind and he's worthy of praise, then you should just bring your whole self to him. And in bringing your whole self, bring your mind under his direction. And, it, and no longer just be imprinted by the world, but allow him to change you. So, the really, the goal in this, as he finishes out verse 2, he says, the goal is so that you will be able to discern God's voice from all the other voices around you. How many of you this morning would say, I would really love that? <laughs> Amen? I would really love just to be able to clearly discern God's voice from all the other voices around me. You know, it's one of the most common things I hear as a pastor. I'm just having, I just want to know what God wants. I just want to be able to hear God's voice. It is difficult. Do you know why it's difficult? Not because God isn't speaking. He is. God is speaking to us all the time through the Word and through the Holy Spirit. It's because there is so much noise. You and I, and please hear me. I mean, I, I know... You've, you've heard my voice for a while, so sometimes I get droning here. Hear this. You and I are swimming in a culture that it's so inundating us, it's hard to pick it out from what it's saying, what's God's voice, and what's the voice around me. And I got to tell you, as a follower of Jesus, not just as a pastor, that scares me so much. Not fearful as I fear the enemy, but it just, I'm just like, oh God, help us. If we're followers of you, help us to hear your voice. That's what you're saying that worship is, is that we be able to discern your voice from all the other noise around us. And that's our life. That's our worship to you, is not looking like, sounding like, acting like everybody else around us, but being so able to discern your voice and saying, Lord, this is what you want for me today. Lord, as I'm coming into this situation and I have choices A, B, and C, I'm not just stepping into whatever the easiest one is, whatever the one feels okay to me, but I'm clearly saying, Lord, what is it that you want for me? That's the model given to us throughout Scripture, isn't it? That's the model of John the Baptist beheaded. <laughs> Not because that was the easy choice, but because that was the path. That was what God called him to do. Live out in a desert and baptize out in the Jordan. Here's, here's uh, Jesus and his obedience to the Father. The easy way would have been just to do miracle after miracle and gather the crowd and just do, you know, big revivals wherever he went. The hard way was the way of the cross and sacrifice and giving his life. But see, he discerned it. He knew what the Father wanted for him. And I so desire that for myself, for every one of us, that as an act of worship, we'd say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Here's a decision I have to make. Let me list the pros and cons. Let me go ahead and dis look at what the positive things are and what the negatives are and, and what the outcomes might be. But that's not my deciding factor. 
That doesn't determine whether I make a decision or not. What determines is what God has to say to me about that decision. And that blows our mind. God may ask you to do a hard thing that makes absolutely no sense to everybody else. The pros and cons didn't line up. Why did you choose that one? Because you know what? I did the very best I could and I waited patiently before the Lord and I sought Scripture and I sought counsel and I waited patiently and I didn't rush to for God to give me an answer, and I just waited and I waited. And when it came down to it, and I sought the Lord, and I fasted and prayed about it, and when it came down to it, this is what I discerned that He said to me, you know, for me to do. Great. <laughs> Who's, you know, who of, of us, among us, is really in a position to question that? If you sought counsel, if you sought the face of the Lord, if you spent time and you weren't in a hurry, and, and that's where I get into trouble is that I want the voice of God. I want, I want God to speak to me, but I really want it today. <laughs> Lord, if you can just tell me by the end of today, because I really want to make this decision. You know what? If there's a decision so fast that you don't feel like you can gain the peace of uh, God in it, it may be a decision that you just say, I'm, I'm not going to make that decision. I'm going to stay where I'm at. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do because I don't have clarity. I'm not going to make a decision because the world tells me I have to at this point. I'm going to continue to wait and see what I've found in my own life is that I'm always in a more of a hurry than God is. I set the deadline and God blows right past it. And he goes, yeah, we'll decide that in about a month or two. You're not ready yet. I find that time and again, God wants me to wait. Do you notice in Scripture it says, wait upon the Lord? Not hurry up and catch up to the Lord? I have not found the Scripture where it says, hurry up, God is waiting for you. Hurry, hurry, hurry. It always says, wait upon the Lord. Be patient. Listen. Be still. Right? I'm not lying, am I? Like, that's our mandate. Wait. When you think you need a decision, wait. And wait again. It doesn't move at the pace of this world. God is not interested in the, the pace at which things are happening in the world around you. He is much more interested in you hearing His voice and walking with Him, and not getting ahead of Him, and being in pace with what it is that He's doing in your life. We want the decision so that we can make a choice. God wants us to wait upon Him so we can be transformed before we ever make the choice. He's doing it in us. We're just wanting to know which way to go. He wants to transform us from the inside out. So, here's a good question. Of all the inputs that I'm getting, what's the source of what I'm thinking, of what I'm saying, and what I'm doing? If I'm, gonna, if I'm going to discern and I'm going to worship in a way that's my whole life, then I need to ask the question before I just jump in and think things and accept them as truth, and I do things and accept them as truth. What's the source of what I'm thinking, saying, and doing? So, Here's, here's what you don't need to question are basic things. And this is coming from a pastor, so I know if you, you know, aren't convinced about Christianity, then what I'm saying is going to be suspect. But for the follower of Christ, here's the things that are true. God is good. God is always true. The Scriptures are always true. We use that as a foundation from which we discern everything. And His Holy Spirit, we can hear from His Holy Spirit and He can lead us. Christ is... His work on the cross is complete. There's nothing else you need. 
in order to be saved except the, the work of Christ. So there's no works that you need to perform in order to be acceptable to God except believing upon His name and becoming under His leadership, His discipleship, and, and follow after Him. So there are certain things that we do believe, which is countercultural. We believe there are certain things that are absolute. Uh, it should not violate God's Word. It should not violate God's Spirit. Um, it, it shouldn't uh, uh, go against or harm other people so that uh, you can have your answer. When I say harm, physically harm, emotionally, mental, you know, harm in that way. You may offend some people, but uh, God, God doesn't put you in a place. So some people, I, I'm saying this because illustration, some people say, I'm doing God's will and this has happened. I'm bombing a, a clinic or I'm doing, bringing apart, uh, doing violence against people in God's name. Uh, you missed it. If, if you believe that's the way of the kingdom, you miss Jesus' words of saying, no, that's not the way we're going to do it, Peter. Put the sword away. My kingdom, is, my kingdom takes a different way. So the way that I learn something and I don't get stuck is by I have an inquisitive mind and I ask things. What's the source of this thing that I'm thinking? Where's this coming from? What's the source? Why? why? And I know the culture is repeating this. Do I want to jump in and say the same things that I'm hearing through all these other streams? Or do I, should I have a different voice than what I'm, what I'm hearing? So here's how we get stuck, and you've heard that. He's just stuck in his ways. She's just stuck in her ways. Listen, that shouldn't be the words that come out of a Christian's mouth. That shouldn't be identification of how we as Christians are viewed, that we're just stuck in our ways. Because God is actively working and changing us and shaping us. And so we should always have an inquisitive mind about what's the source for that and how do I follow Jesus in this place? How do I respond like Christ would respond in this way? The last thing I want to bring up and, and finish uh, with this, and you've been so patient, thank you. Uh, what did Jesus say about this? Uh, these are some questions to ask that I'm coming up and something's trying to imprint me, a decision, a choice that I have. What did Jesus say about this? And you say, well, you know, Jesus lived 2,000 plus years ago. What, what do you mean? What did he say about, you know, my kid going to public school or whatever the situation, my, the financing for my car, <laughs> whatever it might be. Listen, it's amazing how Jesus has a lot to say about everything about your life. If you're able to just understand, read through Scripture and understand and apply the same principle, it may not be the exact same setting. You may not be paying, paying with a denarii. You may be paying with cash. But the same principles apply, right? What does Jesus have to say about this? How does the good news get communicated in this? That's a great question in today's culture. How does the good news get communicated in this? Can the good news get communicated in this? Because if it can't, I should have real caution about whether it's part of what I should be speaking. Because what Christ called me to is the same thing that He did. Heal the sick, uh, bring sight to the blind, freedom for the captive, proclaim good news, right? That's the ministry of Christ. That's the ministry He passed along to us. And so how can the good news get communicated in this? How does redemption, healing, and wholeness happen here? Where's God's story going to happen here? And if I can't find a place where God can work in the situation that I'm working in or I'm dealing with and I'm making a decision about what I'm going to say, what I'm going to do, then I should give reason to pause and say, then maybe 
then maybe I need to wait before I engage in this or participate or take this direction because I don't really see how God is going to redeem, heal, or bring wholeness in this place. The kingdom come to earth, and that's what, that's what part of that transformation that's happening in us. So when I look at myself, when you look at yourself being imprinted by the world around you, saying, how does the kingdom, here's a good question, how does the kingdom come in this situation? How do I bring Jesus into this? How do I hear his voice and bring him into this place? So I want us to finish uh, with a song of worship. We're right at the end of our time. And again, you've been so patient. If you would join me in standing. I know there's a lot there to think about, a lot to reflect on. And I pray that you do just through this afternoon. Take a moment and just surrender yourself before the Lord. In fact, let's just practice it for a moment. If you would, just as a gesture of surrender, just place your hands out in front of you. And that point of just as the pot sits on the wheel before the potter and is shaped. And so we're standing here and and it's an invitation to God to shape us. To not be set, not to be hardened, to not to already be the pot that's just on the shelf on display But you and I are the ones who are still on the wheel being formed. You have your hands around the clay and you've been imprinted, you've been shaping, and your life is taking a certain form. But you just envision the master potter, his hand coming over yours. And he's just reshaping, he's adding pressure in certain points. So that looks more like Jesus. He's pulling back an area that's kind of caved in. It's not making room. It's closed off. And so he's pulling back an area that you were kind of pushing in. You were, you were shaping it to be a, a vase and now he looks like he's making a pitcher. <laughs> and so just that imagery of, of Lord, as we gather this morning... We want to be in that place where we are not hardened to you. We're not hardened to your spirit. We're not hardened to your word. But you can shape us. You can form us into the image of your son. Anywhere that we've become stuck in our ways, Lord, we pray that you would soften us. Begin to, Lord, help us to to slow down to listen. Slow down to with our putting pressure on things, to move them one way or the other, but just to kind of be at a relaxed place where, where we're being molded and shaped under your hand, your grace and your mercy. Lord, we thank you for this time. And as we just close with this last song, I just pray that it would just be an opportunity for you just to speak to us throughout the rest of this day about areas where we've been conformed to the world, we've been conformed to our upbringing, we've been conformed to our generation, and you're wanting to reshape us into the image of Christ, into something new and something different. We give you ourselves, and we respond to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.